Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sample Size, the only news podcast that cares about science. I'm your host, Samantha Spears. And I'm your other host, Cameron Buzar-Jamari. I've given myself a promotion. You have? Yeah, I'm not a co-host. I think I haven't said, I've been saying co-host up until now, so. Oh, that's right. Oh, so you're an official host? Yeah, let's go with that. Oh, congratulations. I, I didn't know I promoted you, but You did, yes. I had a conversation <laughs> with HR. <laughs> they fast-tracked it. <laughs> nice. So, Samantha, what do you have for me today? All right. Well, today it's actually the first part of a two-part series. Oh, God. All about, what do you mean, oh, God? How are we going to have something so bad that it spans two parts? <laughs> all right. Don't say it that way. It's all about the CDC. Okay. So this... I, I like the CDC. Are you about to ruin the CDC for me? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> so this first series is actually about the CDC and politics and how politics is starting to, they're starting to clash okay. with each other. Well, that I think we all saw coming. But yeah. Okay. All right. No, okay. Let's go. Let's go. I can do this. All right. So the CDC or the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they are under the Department of Health and Human Services or HHS. And they're kind of the premier public health organization in the United States. And historically, they've tried to remain apolitical in its actions and decisions. And for the most part, it's succeeded in this goal. But it's been tougher for them to not be affected by politics since the pandemic started. And let me make sure I get this. So, like, lots of agencies actually want to be apolitical because they don't want, like, if they're, like, really pro-Democrat and then Republicans come in, those Republicans are just going to thrash on the agency. So they kind of want to stay out of that fight. Is, is that kind of it? Yeah. And also because, one, just consistency. Like, administrations, they change change every four, eight years. So it's good to have consistency at different agencies and things to stay similar. There are also just some scientific agencies or data-driven agencies. They just kind of have a reputation of we're on the fact-doing side, like fact-collecting side. We're on the research side. So we really shouldn't have any political involvement in the discussion. Or they're on topics that aren't the most controversial. Like the Census Bureau or the National Institutes of Health. National Ins... Oh, yeah. And NIH. NIH. <laughs> Why did that take me so long to figure know. out what that All right, acronym but, was? Okay, so what's going on here then? <laughs> All right. Well, a bit of background. As you've probably noticed through many different news stories since the COVID-19 pandemic hit, the CDC and the Trump administration have been at odds since this pandemic began. So in January and February, when COVID-19 was just hitting the U.S., the CDC had some blunders, including having testing delays because of flawed coronavirus tests from lab contamination. And they supported Japan's quarantine of hundreds of Americans on a cruise ship off its coast, with which caused the virus to spread rapidly on that ship. Oof, that's bad. Yeah, wasn't some great CDC decisions going on, but it was very early on in the pandemic. There's still a lot of stuff being discovered, a lot of things being found out. So it makes sense that some of these blunders did happen. Actually, if I recall, at that point, they didn't even know how contagious the disease really was. Like, they didn't even have that kind of data. Well, exactly, yeah. It, they were very early on in the fact-finding out process. Still weird to think early on means like like months ago, like in the grand scheme of a pandemic, this still feels early on. Oh, yes, it is. But it just feels like it's been years now, even though it's been months. We've been in this closet for decades. <laughs> yes. 
So these mistakes and blunders, among other things, made the Trump administration look bad, which started causing rifts between them and the CDC. For example, there were reports of the CDC making decisions or presenting figures without input from Health and Human Services or the administration. And there were times when CDC officials were giving advice or warning how bad the pandemic was going to be that went against what the administration was saying. So now, jumping to the present, things haven't gone any better between the CDC and the Trump administration. The White House, particularly President Trump, keeps fighting back against CDC guidelines, such as wearing masks in public and social distancing, and has been dismissive of the pandemic's presence even as cases begin to rise in southern states. So there was even talk by White House aides in late June of launching an in-depth audit of the CDC, particularly so that the White House could review the CDC's official count of COVID-related deaths and a potentially place political appointees at the agency. Okay, so that sounds like it's about to get real political real fast. Yeah, exactly. So I mentioned about how they want to review the CDC's official count of COVID-related deaths. Yeah. Well, that debate's really going into how the CDC calculates COVID cases and deaths. The CDC, as of now, they're telling states and officials to report both cases that are confirmed by lab tests and cases that are presumed to be positive. And the Trump administration isn't a real fan of them counting presumed cases. They think only confirmed cases should be counted. So I I think maybe I need some more clarification on, I guess, presumed cases are places where people are seeing the symptoms, but they haven't actually diagnosed COVID. And then confirmed is this person definitely has come back positive for COVID. Yes, exactly. Okay. And so is this like a problem about testing or is this more just like you don't want to just conflate those numbers because like flu season's a thing and all sorts of other stuff could have happened. Yeah. So this is one of those issues where you could actually debate both sides. So this is rare. (laughs) I know. Go figure. There's actual pros and cons to something. So what do the two sides of the argument look like? All right. So the reason to include presumed cases would be because one, testing has been limited. It started to pick up recently and more tests were available. But especially early on, having the appropriate amount of testing was rare and it was hard to come by. So because of that, there was most likely an underreporting of cases, an underreporting of testing people. So you would want those presumed cases so you could have a more accurate picture of what the COVID-19 case number actually looked like. But as you pointed out, the flip side to that is that maybe some of those people weren't actually infected with COVID-19. They could have been infected with something else. So that's where you have a problem of including presumed cases and not having a definite confirmation to it. Okay. But this also sounds like a weird power grab to just see, like, is there a way we can shove down those numbers so we don't look so bad? Exactly. And that's what a lot of people are worried about with the Trump administration. I can do do the joke again. They're trying to reduce the sample size. Oh, no. We did it. Uh, No. I should get that actual blowhorn effect. Yes, we need to have the blowhorn in here. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. I'm too lazy. But okay, so yeah, this sounds, that's exactly that though, right? Like it's just a move to say things aren't as bad as they are, even though they really could be. Mm-hmm. And that's really the fear of all this. And that's why there is such a debate. And really why the CDC continues to include presumed cases is because they still do think that there's an underreporting of cases. Even though testing has gone up, there's also just people that, won't go and get tests. And that's just a reality. Yeah. I mean, I know that there are a lot of people who 
are scared to get tests because they're afraid just the act going out and being near other people who might have some sort or who might have it would put them in danger, Mm -hmm. which is, I mean, it makes sense. A lot of places, they take a ton of precautions to make sure that you won't have that kind of danger. But at the end of the day, I can understand why a lot of people, especially elderly people, people who are in high risk situations would be very hesitant to get tested. Oh, yeah, completely. So it all makes sense. So I mentioned how this tension is going on and has been boiling up. Well, it's not only affecting the CDC, but also public health workers in general. There's been numerous reports of local public health officials resigning from their jobs due to harassment, ranging from personal threats to demonstration at their homes over public health restrictions. And this got so bad that on July 1st, about 350 public health organizations, advocacy groups, and local health departments signed a letter to Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, urging him to speak up for the critical role the CDC and all public health agencies have been playing in stopping the pandemic. So I'll read you a quote from that letter. Our organizations have been directly involved in the fight against the coronavirus. We are deeply concerned about increasing reports of resistance to evidence-based public health messages and threats to public health leaders and agencies. Such actions undermine the efforts to protect the health and well-being of America's residents at a critical juncture when cases of COVID-19 are rising. We urge you to affirm the invaluable role of the CDC and resist any efforts that would undermine its mission. Dang, that's that's a hell of a letter. Right? That is the closest the government will ever be to a flex. <laughs> That and everything that happened near the end of World War II. Well, that wasn't the government. That was public health organizations, but, you know. Okay. My point here is (laughs) I love and respect that, and I love to see that they're, like, really trying to come to the defense of the CDC and say, like, guys, regardless of what you think, these guys are the people we, as Americans, have decided are going to be responsible for handling diseases. And they, like, the CDC is responsible for all sorts of stuff. Like, every time there's an E. coli outbreak or something because of Chipotle, they are on top of it. They're Mm -hmm. why you do not get poisoned by your Chipotle bowls. (laughs) So if anyone has a time to flex, it should be them because they are the people that we as an entire country have decided are responsible for this exact situation. Why aren't you letting them do their job? Yeah. And also just a support for public health figures in general, because public health officials, they're just doing their job. They're trying to keep everyone safe. They're trying to enforce these guidelines. So, you know, it would actually be a good thing for the administration to fully support them and be like, yes, go and do your job, you know, and lay off some, even though they disagree with it, just lay off some of the backlash of it and try not to rile people up to go and like protest against some of these things. Yeah. Like I don't know of any other countries or at least I guess, I guess I'm thinking a lot of like certain European or Asian countries, but for the most part, they are all doing their best to support their own versions of the CDC and rally with them because they, and uh, again, I understand that they are in a completely different circumstance. Some of them have a lot more social programs in place or just infrastructure to help keep people safe or out of the public eye or not working from home or not working at all. But at the same time, I don't know of any other countries that are this actively divisive against their own government agencies. There are some governments where this kind of agency is pushed to the side because they have that much control over it, which sounds like what the Trump administration is sort of trying to do here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it is confusing when the government doesn't provide a united front on certain issues and and kind of see 
see why that's happening here. That's because the CDC has their own experts and are developing a certain narrative and saying what they want done. But the administration has their own ideas about it and their own opinions on it. And it's just clashing at this moment. OK, so so what happens next? <laughs> well, what happens next is the story isn't over. <laughs> so, OK, <laughs> so I wish I could tell you that that letter helped things and really improved this relationship, but it really didn't. So on July 8th, President Trump blasted the CDC on Twitter, saying that he disagreed with their guidelines for reopening schools and, quote, I will be meeting with them, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I like how he says that like a threat, like that's not the president's job. Yeah, it's that's like, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I want to go into meetings and be like, I will be meeting with you. Yeah. We will we will have an Outlook invite. Good day, sir. <laughs> I will be seeing you on Microsoft Teams. <laughs> yes. All right. So that tweet happened. And then on July 16th, the administration mandated that hospitals send their COVID-19 data directly to Health and Human Services instead of to the CDC. So the CDC has been collecting daily reports from hospitals on the availability of ventilators, ICU beds and stock of PPE since March through its National Healthcare Safety Network, or NHSN. And the NHSN has been around for a while and it allows for facilities and states to track different healthcare measures such as tracking blood safety errors and healthcare associated affections. Well, under this new mandate, hospitals will now be reporting their COVID information to a new system HHS developed through a contractor. And also this contract was awarded non-competitively, which is just a little strange. I don't know if you have any feedback on that, Cameron. First of all, I just want to take a moment to appreciate that the government will never ever turn down an opportunity to create an acronym. Good on you guys keep it up <laughs> not making my life any harder Two, yeah that is weird because believe it or not like the government in, in an attempt to be very balanced and avoid nepotism and a lot of things like that a lot of government contracts basically government work has to be forbid mm -hmm. like unless there's a very specific reason you have to partner with someone say they have to meet a certain level of classification or it is determined in some other contract that they have i hate to say a monopoly but like they're the kind of people you're just going to go to for this kind of thing because yeah, they're like they, the one people who work on it. Yeah, like not usually because there isn't competition, but because like these are literally either the only people doing it or the only people that can be trusted with our government secrets. Like there are very good reasons for it, but this specific program, this specific system, especially the fact that there was something in place that's now being switched, sounds a lot like nepotism. Yeah, that raised a red flag for me too, because whenever I've seen government work, it's always been a competitive contract. So I just thought that was weird. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> And according to the Health and Human Services Secretary, the reason for them changing the system is because they thought the CDC system was slow and that this new system would deliver information quicker. I also find that a little strange. Not the fact that they thought that the CDC system was slow, but that they thought this new system would be a lot quicker because there's just always a learning curve to knowing how to work a new system. So I think it would just kind of cancel out and it wouldn't be faster. I'm more worried about like like the technical lag of getting data into it. It sounds like if you have a system that big that has that much data in it, you're going to need to do a lot to import that data into a new system and make sure the data is like in the form you want it to be. So that would be one thing. But like if the old system was written like a COBOL mainframe and the new one's written on like cutting edge cloud infrastructure, <laughs> there might be, maybe, I don't know anything about either system, so I can't say it. Yeah, and these systems, like they're used by hospitals and they're used by state departments and stuff that are not really state departments. They're used mostly by hospitals. 
where they put their information into these systems. So it's like giving them, you know, a two day notice of they're going to have to change how they report things and they're doing daily reports. To me, that just says, oh, it's you're going to have a lag time there. Yeah, I'm not jazzed about any part of that, especially the part where I have to read new documentation. No, no thing. <laughs> yeah. And then people were also confused and worried because where before information was going directly to the CDC, now information is going to Health and Human Services. So it just seems like the CDC is being roped out of it, like they're being purposely excluded from it. Yeah. I mean, I don't see another way to see that. Yeah, that's a really excellent observation just because it's supposed to start at the CDC and go elsewhere. It's not supposed to start at HHS. You're starting one level too high. Yeah, exactly. So I guess really just how I want to end this whole discussion is like, what are your thoughts on the CDC and politics clashing? Like, do you think the CDC should be influenced by whoever the administration is, you know, kept completely isolated from political influence or some kind of middle ground there? Yeah, listener at home, tell us what you think. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, way to sidestep the conversation, Cameron. (laughs) I think we've basically touched on all the things I'd really think. It sucks to see something that's entirely focused on helping protect the public health of Americans being politicized and then using all this rigmarole and run around to undermine the authority of an agency that has done their best to stay apolitical. They're basically saying we're going to do everything we can to show that regardless of who's in power, we are helping the American people. Mm -hmm. And the people in power are like, that's not cool. So we're going to replace you or just ignore you entirely. And honestly, that part, I'm not surprised by. That part, I don't actually care as much about. What absolutely upsets me is the idea that you could be a government worker who believe in your heart. And I know, like you see them on TV all the time. These are people who believe in their heart. They're doing everything in their power to help the American people. And they're getting chastised, berated, and literally threatened for doing so. Mm -hmm. They don't care that you want to go to the restaurant this week because they care that you be able to live to go to the restaurant eventually. Yeah, exactly. It's always so fascinating to me to see this moment in American history because it's just another moment where American ideals around freedom, like this exaggerated idea of what freedom should be, is constantly clashing against just reality. Yeah. And like, it's one thing to be, oh, I should have the freedom to choose what I want to. I should have the freedom to like follow these guidelines or not. It's another thing to be like, I don't agree with these safety measures. And so I'm going to willfully ignore it and say, oh, this is harassment for you making me follow safety guidelines when so much there's so many rules in our society, like seatbelts, where you follow safety guidelines. Like it's just kind of a disconnect there. Yeah. And a lot of the times I don't want to ever undermine something, but I think sometimes it comes down to the why of something Mm. like seatbelts. A lot of the times, believe it or not, they're not just there for your own safety. They're also there for like the safety of like other people in the car or in other cars, because if you get thrown out of your car and hit someone, that that's an actual thing that's happened. Oh, yeah. Or if you're in your car and you get flung around, you could inadvertently elbow someone or end up in the back seat injuring someone, even though you were just not buckled in in the front seat in like the passenger seat or somewhere. Mm-hmm. Because you don't always appreciate the unintended consequences of your specific action. And this is one of those places where the reason I feel that so many of these agencies and people around the world are so conservative with how they're handling, like, should we go back to school? Should we do this or that? Is because they really just don't know what this disease is capable of or 
how they're going to be able to contain it or cure it or vaccinate for it or whatever. And they would rather everyone stay safe and alive until they can figure out what to do, which unfortunately probably means continuing to have to take this conservative approach to protecting people. Yeah, they would rather be overly cautious instead of underly cautious. I think Dr. Fauci said something to the effect of like, you know, it'd be great if we were overly cautious and then nothing happened because <laughs> yeah. then that would that would still be a success. Like we would rather that than the alternative of a mass amount of people getting injured or dying. Yeah, it's always painful to see things like this. And I really wish that the administration would basically respect what's been this, the norm or the standard. Like the agency itself is trying to be apolitical as it's been through countless other presidencies. So it sucks to see this. But at the same time, it's one of those like you really want to support them, maybe not however you can, but like however you're able to. If their CDC is continuing to act in our best interest is telling us something, I think it's fair to listen to them. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I just want to wrap up that saying that though the CDC aims to remain apolitical and free of this political influence, you know, it's part of the federal government, so it won't always be free from it. And my hope is that in the future, administrations will support scientific efforts and try not to inject political goals into them. And inevitably, that'll happen because it's politics and stuff will get involved. But I hope that people and organizations will continue to call out administrations when they do that. So now just a plug for next week. You know, we're going to continue this discussion on the CDC. And specifically, we're going to focus on the CDC and racism. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, you did a real bait and switch on me. I did. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, if you have any friends at home who you think would like to learn about what's happening to the CDC or would like to learn about whatever we're going to learn about next week, definitely recommend this show sample size to them. And remember to like, subscribe, all that jazz wherever you get podcasts. Yeah. And as always, all of my sources are in the show notes. So feel free to look at them and click on all the links and get all the juicy information. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.